electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the rough week for stocks and what the final 10 trading days of the year might bring for your money. We debate that with the Investment Committee today. Joining me for the hour, Jason Snipe, Shannon Sakosha, Joe Terranova, and Steve Weiss. Let's check the markets here. We're at session lows. Uh, we've been down all morning long, but uh, right now the Dow's down about well, a little less than 500. It's a 450-point loss. S&P's down 60, 1.5% as well. You get the picture here. 349 is the yield on the 10-year. Joe, you know, wondering if this is the week that ruined the end of your rally. Uh, questions about whether falling bond yields could actually help stocks. Problem is, not if they're falling for the, the wrong reasons, because of the economic concerns and recession fears that we have. Well, let's first address the Santa Claus rally. I think potentially you're getting something better than a Santa Claus rally. The problem is you're going to have to endure a lot lower S&P price for that. And maybe that is an interim low as we turn the calendar into January. But clearly, this week, we've seen such a dramatic reversal from the CPI release on Tuesday morning. You've now traced out what's called an outside down week. You've done it in every major index from the Russell to the Dow Jones, S&P, and NASDAQ. That signals that there is ahead of us in the coming days further weakness. And I think the best thing you could hope for is that some form of an interim low is traced out. Remember, you know, Joe makes a good point, Weiss. It, it was this week, Tuesday, CPI, right? Market went up near 800, gave it all back. Um, Fundstrat's Mark Newton, he's their technician. S&P and the Q's breakdown, uh, turning near-term more bearish, more proof of upcoming consolidation in equities over the next week. I mean, we're running out of time for a Santa Claus rally if, in fact, it's going to materialize. Yeah, as I said last week, week before, it's getting late very early. So the focus continues to be on a Santa Claus rally, and that's the wrong focus. The focus should be on what Powell is saying, not on what people want him to say, not on the fact you're seeing a tick lower than expected in CPI. you still got CPI three times what the Fed wants it to be. So this is going to sound arrogant, and I apologize, but this is the easiest market to analyze that I've seen, except for the time when the Fed went all in and cut rates to zero. The reason being is that you knew markets were going to go up. Tepper came on, told us markets going up. Everybody knew it. Free money. You put on risk. Isn't it the same thing in the reverse? Why don't people want to believe that, that the Fed's going pedal to the metal? They've told you they want to go to recession, maybe not in those exact words, well, and it doesn't matter. Well, what's the bond market doing then? It's the, calling you-know-what. It's, it's calling right. you-know-what Okay, so Fed, I have a choice. Right? First of all, I'm, I'm short bonds, uh, but I have a choice. My choice is, do I listen to the bond market, which has so many different signals? It's technical trading. It's, it's uh, outside U.S. looking for yield. But it's been right. It is right. It, it's right in the economy. It's wrong on the Fed. 
So I'm short bonds because I think you'll see a 4% yield. And if you don't see a 4% yield, I'll be right on my shorts that I have. So to me, the direction is still lower. Forget the public CEOs. Just in San Fran, spent time with a number of private CEOs who are investing in the companies. They tell a different story. They don't have to be cheerleaders for their company. They got to be realists because they're going to look to come to the market. What do you mean, though? I mean, the, the public CEOs yeah. are the ones who've been negative. No, I mean, actually, the banks have been. The banks have been the most negative. But if you look at the others, like Adobe today, okay, really positive. You take. I mean, Adobe stock is Delta. up in a down tape. It is, but I'll tell you what, I'll bet you a thousand bucks right now I can get it cheaper in two, three weeks, okay? Take a look at Delta Airlines. What they don't tell you, the CEO, saying things are great, we're doing better in 2019, we're gonna do better, even better next year. United, we saw the same thing. What they don't tell you is that you can cancel up until that flight leaves the gate. So don't be deluded by what you're seeing today. Look at where the puck's going, and the puck's not going to the net for the bulls. So one more thing, Scott. I keep saying you gotta be patient. Long-term investors, you gotta be patient. The first tenet of investing money, right, is don't lose it. The second tenet is be patient. Who's being more patient? Bulls who are rushing in and looking for phenomenal opportunities like Adobe today? Or the ones who are saying, I'm gonna wait for a better price and I'm gonna get it. Okay, so Shannon, uh, you got a lot from Joe and Steve there. Put your own spin on how you see things. I mean, I think we have already had a great quarter, right? October and November were great. Were two great months in the equity market. We saw this uh, consolidation, I think, of optimism around the Fed being able to pause at the end of the year. Um, and I don't disagree with Steve. I mean, I think that if you look at the comments from the Fed, they have been very, very consistent in terms of we got we've got to get back to a terminal rate that we feel comfortable with. We've got to get back to inflation closer to our um, our target now. There's been some questions over the past couple of days about what that target really will be and you know where does the Fed actually see um, getting comfortable? Is that closer to 3%? I actually don't think that really matters. I think what matters is that there is still so such a wide divergence in expectations for earnings next year. And when we look at the second half of next year, and I think it is the second half, we really have to start to think about how much of the, the cost increases that we've seen, how sticky are those? How much margin improvement can companies really put into place in the back half of next year? Because that's going to be the important tale in terms of earnings. I think that we're looking at an environment where we're going to have slowing top line growth for companies because we're going to have slowing economic growth. We're, we're going to go into a potential recession, but at least at the very least a contraction. And so I think what you know is the challenge for investors is do you look at the market and do you think it's appropriately valued? And are you for the companies that are that are trading at a valuation ahead of where the the, the market is? Is that justified because they're going to be able to engineer growth in the top and bottom line better than expected for next year? And so I think that we're going into a market where you have to be very careful if you're going to be buying individual stocks that you need to look at what are the particular drivers that are non-secular drivers for these businesses. And that's why I think that, you know, there is going to be a back, we're going back to a factor, the quality factor is going to start to outperform next year because it's going to be so important to see management execution and the ability to drive top and bottom line growth absent, you know, a driver. I know there's going to be some opportunities for growth in the economy. I believe that manufacturing and infrastructure build is going to be one of those. But frankly, that's not going to be enough to, to lift all boats. And so there is going to be, and what you should be doing now in the next couple of months is consolidating around those positions, those companies that you think can drive growth, absent large-scale secular growth in the U.S. economy. But, you know, Jason, the problem is if you think 
you know, some stocks that you've liked have come down a lot and they're attractive. You all, you're going to have the Weisses on the other side of the argument who say, yes, that's great. Valuations make a lot more sense now than they did. But in the bigger picture, it means nothing because I still think they're going lower. And I still think that I'll get the stocks that look great today cheaper than what I could buy them for today. As much as I hate to, to say, I, I agree with Weiss here. Um, I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you're looking at the multiple, S&P 17 and a half times uh, right now, right, which is historically high. And if you're looking at, you know, where, where, earnings, where earnings is, you know, depending on where strategists and, and analysts are saying, obviously strategists have been negative, analysts have been positive. You know, 230 number is likely a, a high number. I think they do trend lower, which means the multiple will come down lower. So to Weiss's point earlier, I think that makes sense. I think this is likely not the time to jump into growth stocks. I think they will, will float lower. We heard the presser this week. We, we talked about CPI early in the week, which feels like it was months ago. And we've seen the price action since. And we, we know that they're going to continue to stay engaged and do what they have to do. But, you know, even if you look at PMIs this, this, this morning, I mean, they were 31-month low. So what they are doing is working, like I talked about yesterday, but I, but I think they're going to still stay engaged. Credibility continues to be on the line as they talked about being behind the curve when it came to QE. You know, they're, they're going to they're gonna continue to move. And if that is indeed the case, you, you will get stocks at lower prices. And I think you just have to stay patient and, and look to, uh, you know, here in the near future uh, to look at some of these names that, that, are, that are attracting more attractively, but, but probably more value later on down the road. One of the key questions, Joe, is whether we're going to get what amounts to uh, premature bottom calling in certain sectors. I go back to, for example, I don't know, what was it, a week or so ago, there was a note on the street that said, you know, semis had bottomed. Um, they're coming off, they're having the worst week since October 14th, okay, coming off the worst day since October uh, 14th. And remember, those stocks were down a ton. Mm -hmm. Then a lot of them were up just extraordinarily in a short period of time, the, you know, NVIDIAs and things like that. Some of these names were up like 40% in a couple of weeks. Now worries that they're going right back down and they're going to be wrecked because of the worries about where the economy is. What do we make of that? Because tech is the place to look. So I, I think this is where the complexity of, of the moment comes into play. You, you're 100% right. You've been right all year on your view of the market. As far as semis, I think it's important to understand that the Federal Reserve has caused a hard landing. They've smashed the consumer piggy bank in the wealth effect, right? So hard assets uh, have gone down, it's clear hard landing, same thing could be safe for housing. So for things like semis, I do think the worst has passed. And even though we know, Scott, that there is coming, the bond market is telling you, the bond market's right, the bond market's telling you that so many different industries are in a recession right now, further weaknesses to come, the piggy bank for the consumer is smashed, the consumer is going to be most challenged in 2023. Logically, you say to yourself, okay, semis have to reprice lower. But they've already gotten ahead of that. A lot of the semis have already had the estimates lower. Yeah, but, but the stocks then, why did they rebounded so powerfully? Was that justified? That's, that's, a, that's a reflex reaction to the overall environment in which the market rallied, believing what? 
believing that inflation had peaked, the development of an inflation downtrend was unfolding, and that the Federal Reserve was going to, on Wednesday in that press conference, really present a dovish tone. And they didn't. They presented anything but a dovish tone. That's why you had the rally. But I think when you look overall at the semis, you could selectively mine, and I'll call out names, Texas Instruments on semiconductors, KLA Corp., Microchip, MCHP, even to a certain extent, listen, I liquidated AMD and NVIDIA, which basically tells me the bottom's in, right? I sold the low. I know I sold the low, but I had to sell the low. And so I think in certain industries and sectors, the hard landing happened. Yes, the economy is going to experience further contraction. The bond market is right. The Federal Reserve is wrong. That's my view. But I think it's been priced in in a lot of areas of the market already. What do you think about that, Weiss? I don't agree. You just don't agree? I don't agree. Uh, I, don't, I hope you're wrong on NVIDIA hitting the bottom because I'm long put. I think NVIDIA is sure. In what world do you want to own a semi-company? And that's what it is at 55 times earnings. One of our private company CEOs who builds data centers, right, mm-hmm. they're not building at all. Nobody's making decisions in Europe. Europe is ground to halt. In the U.S., they're pulling back. The first thing that happens in a declining economic environment is you take stock of where you are and you free spend it, right? But, but the assumption that you're making is that there is this universal moment where all industries are impacted by the economy. What really happens is that over the course of time, over the course of the last 12 to 18 months, you have seen select industries that have had the economic contraction already. Rolling and without a debt, with, without a doubt, without a doubt, the semis were first in. Look, I think we could all agree with no, that. You agree, and I haven't owned semis for six months or so, but here's how you do it. There's sometimes when you're company when you're a company analyst, and there's sometimes when you gotta be a market analyst. This is a time to be a market analyst. Fundamentals of individual companies, particularly how the markets changed over the last decade with mm-hmm. indexes, with indexes owning more than 50% of every publicly traded equity, right? That's going to impact it more. So the pricing umbrella in terms of stock prices hasn't declined enough. We're still at ridiculously high levels for contracting economic environment and for an environment where the Fed is going full steam ahead. So I don't think semis are cheap enough. We see that cars right now, incentives are back, right? That supply chain's gone. We don't know what double ordering is, right? It's still, we haven't gone through that in my Agreed. Opinion. So I wouldn't buy semis. I just don't feel buy anything. And NVIDIA, it's lunacy for this to be trading 55 times. Uh, okay, this, well, Jason Snipe still owns it. So Jason, let's take NVIDIA because that's a good battleground stock and yeah. has been now for quite some time. It is, and, and obviously for, for us, NVIDIA has been a long-term holding. We trended early part of the year, but we hadn't trended in, in a long time. So I agree with Weiss here on, on just kind of the macro picture. I mean, obviously the, the semis are a cyclical area of the, of the economy. You know, they had a nice bounce. I mean, even if you look at the SMH, it was up 16% in the quarter, but still down 30% year to date. Uh, NVIDIA was, you know, down the 120s. It's now around 165. But, yeah, I think gaming, you know, I think they're starting to work down their inventory. I think gaming and data center, there, there is some weakness there. But for us, we continue to hold it because we think that the earnings growth and revenue growth in the, in the longer term is, is still strong. So it's a, it's a name that we're not willing to, to unload at this stage. You're also- so let me ask you this question, Jason. What's the appropriate multiple for NVIDIA? It's 55 times. We know data center's weak. Yes. We know gaming's weak. We've heard that, right? Every one of their end markets is weak. What's and then we've got China where they can't really sell into anymore. So the world's changed. 
if right. you, you don't use the benchmark right. of free money for a double of where the stock price was, what's the right multiple? Should any semi company sell at 70 times? Should it sell at 55? Should it sell at 40? No. You're right. You're right about that. I mean, the, the multiple is way extended, right? And, and, and I think that still needs to come down. And obviously, if that comes down, the price action will also come down. But I still look ahead to, to revenue growth and the innovation, uh, the NVIDIA, and, and all, the, all the integral parts of the, that they, roles that they play in the economy as it relates to the semis. But you're right. I mean, if I'm looking at the multiple, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense here. And, and I do think uh, it could turn lower. And, and I'm, I wouldn't disagree with you there, but if I'm looking at it from the well, long-term perspective, I, I, go ahead. But name it's, one. Name it's, one. An, it's, a, it's somewhat of an unfair question. It is because nobody really knows what any stock should be trading at at the current time because you don't know what earnings are going to be, right? It's an open question for everything. Right, right. but let me ask it this way then. What technology company, specifically semi-company, has ever kept their competitive edge for more than a few years, particularly in a declining market? Name one. I can name ones that did it, that didn't hold on to it. I can name Intel, yeah, yeah. right? The mother of all innovation in semis. I could name Skyworks with their, with their phones and their, their Apple, but you know their connection to Apple. I can't name any that's, that's held it. You're, so you're also expressing your negative market view through shorting the industrials, Correct. which is an area that I've heard several people come on, whether it's this show or in overtime, and suggest that industrials are a place that you want to be. I can't That's one of the areas of cyclicals that you do want to be in. I don't know whether it's asinine or misguided or just plain ignorant, but in a declining economy, just look at past cycles. Industrials don't hold up. As a matter of fact, they're either the most or within the top three, the most affected. Right? Are they the first? Are they one of the first in? So then maybe they'd be one cycle. of the first yes. out. Yeah. It, well, it's an early. They're an early cycle industry, right? So if you believe, as Jim Labenthal does, for what reason I don't know, that we're at the beginning of a new economic cycle, then sure, have at it. I'm betting we're still working through the end of the economic cycle, and there's more pressure. And look at the multiples. They're selling at a huge premium to the market. In what world is that correct with the Fed doing what it's doing? Well, the other question is, when does, I mean, look, there's so many people, Shannon, who are, who are negative on the market. When does the pain end? And Bank of America's Michael Hartnett, who has been pretty much dead on on how this market has traded, says the quicker the labor markets break, a quicker end to the bear market. What, what that suggests to me is that the pain doesn't end for a while because the labor market isn't breaking. Um, it's strong, obviously. He lays out a number of interesting trades for 2023 in which he says long the 30-year Treasury. That's a gunlock idea as well. Short the U.S. dollar, long emerging market assets. That's a gunlock trade um, as well. Go long China stocks, I think, because of the reopening. Gold and copper as it relates to that. Uh, short tech in the U.S. What do you think about this call from Hartnett? Right. Pain doesn't end until the labor market cracks. And that could be some time. And then he lays out, uh, you know, this playbook, if you will, for what investors should do. 
Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the labor market cracking uh, is, is certainly something from a wage perspective that we need to see. But, Scott, the, the problem is, is we, we need the participation rate to go back up. And so I think, you know, Joe's point about the, you know, the piggy bank, you know, being empty, I, I think is a good point because we do need to see, you know, more people in the labor force. That's really what is going to fix the current issue. Um, I don't think that we're going to see enough layoffs, frankly, in the first half of next year to be able to, to really unsee. Um, you know, the, the wage growth that we've seen. And so we need the participation rate to go up. In terms of the dollar, I mean, I think anybody looking at next year, if you think about what's happening from a rate perspective, what's happening from a central bank policy perspective, you would anticipate that the dollar would at least be stable, if not to be slight, slightly weaker next year, especially after the strength that we saw, it, at least in the first nine months of this year. And so going long EM, I mean, that that's, that's essentially a dollar trade, right? I, I'm not as optimistic about China reopening. And frankly, I think that's part of the problem in terms of, you know, the kind of the lift for, for global growth. We really need China from both a consumption and a production perspective to come back online. But I just don't think we have enough transparency into policy. And so I think making a binary bet on China reopening is really challenging right now. And I think that in your portfolio, just from a U.S. perspective, thinking about what does China do in the first half of next year and thinking about how exposed you are to potentially a continued um, restrictive environment in China. I think that's my major concern. I mean, I, this feels very much like January of 2016 that we're coming into in terms of, you know, questions about China. And I, and I think it's something that's being overlooked, frankly. All right. Let's take a quick break. We come back. Our headliner, our halftime headliner, BMO's Brian Belsky is with us. We get his take on this sell-off where he sees stocks going into the new year and uh, into year-end as well. Halftime's back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back to the halftime report. Let's get to Kayla Tausche now. She has a news alert for us. Kayla? Scott, the nation's top financial regulators have identified more than a dozen vulnerabilities in the financial system with real estate and digital assets posing the top risks. The Financial Stability Oversight Council, in its report released with a uh, an annual meeting that just ended moments ago, it highlights commercial real estate as the top risk right now, noting its role in the 2008 financial crisis, but also noted, noting that delinquencies in that space are currently relatively low. Even so, regulators say declining property 
values, decreased cash flow, and rising defaults could cause credit losses and the failure of some small and medium-sized banks. Senior officials said they are monitoring that situation closely. On the residential front, FSOC warns that a, quote, sharp decrease in home prices could negatively affect homeowners' net wealth, weaken consumer confidence, and increase the likelihood or depth of a broader slowdown in the U.S. economy. Regulators previously detailed risks posed by crypto earlier this year, but officials today said FTX has provided a shock to the system and that it reinforces the need for legislation that deals with agency authorities, the spot market for crypto assets that aren't securities, regulatory arbitrage, and addressing vertically integrated markets. Those are certainly not all of the risks regulators highlighted, but they are the ones that pose the most near-term concerns. And if there's one common theme underlying every risk that FSOC says could spill over into the system, Scott, it's leverage. Back to you. Kayla, I also see some headlines uh, regarding the administration and the uh, SPR and uh, a, perhaps a purchase in February. What more can you tell us? So the Energy Department is beginning a solicitation to start refilling the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. It is going to be looking to sign contracts to repurchase 3 million barrels for purchase beginning in February. Now, 3 million barrels is a very small amount compared to the 180 million barrels that the administration has released from these emergency reserves this year. We reported here on CNBC two weeks ago that the administration was looking at either buying to refill the reserves or potentially weighing new drawdowns from the reserves in February, depending on what markets did after that key early December series of shocks to the energy market, Scott. And it is clear that they are looking at this sustained drop in prices as an opportunity to start purchasing. Scott? Yeah, no doubt. All right, Kayla, thank you so much. That's Kayla Towsey down in Washington for us. All right, let's bring in our halftime headliner now, BMO's uh, Brian Belsky. Brian, welcome back. It's nice to see you today uh, from Toronto. Uh, last time you were on with us, a couple weeks back, you were looking for a December rally. I think you were anticipating a good CPI, which we got, and it sure looked like you were going to be right. Today feels like a different story, though. What's happened? It really does, and thank you so much for having us. It's been a great year with you guys all year long, and happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Um, you know, we thought that the market would be reacting more to the change in trend in inflation. It was, and then all of a sudden, you know, I think the Fed speak uh, created some nerves, as it should. You know, the Fed is something that you can't fight. Mr. Weiss has had a wonderful year with that call. So have the bears and so have the macros. And so we said coming into 2023 in our year ahead piece that the first part of the year would be weak in choppy. We've seen, we seem to be pulling that a little bit forward. And so the, the pullback's already begun in our view. And I think it's going to be tough for the Santa Claus rally to occur, number one. Number two, everybody and their mother, brother, sister, cousin, uncle is negative on the first half of the year. So we'll come out and be a little bit different. I think the weakness probably is not going to be as long as everybody thinks. It's probably going to be into February. Uh, as earnings start to come out and into March. And then we'll have some sort of a bottom, say, let's say 3,600 to 3,800, something like that. And that's when we'll have an opportunity to put a little bit more risk on in our portfolios, which and when we run our money, we're very, very tight right now to the market in terms of our overweights and underweights. And so we have an opportunity to kind of move some money around, we think, the first part of the year. Mm -hmm. Let me just ask you a simple question, um, because I feel like you're in this camp. Why do you keep fighting the Fed, Ryan? 
Well, I'm not fighting the Fed uh, because, you know, I think, as I said uh, in, in my explanation right now, and from uh, our report next year, we think that, that prices will go lower the first part of the year, especially given the fact that the Fed is signaling what it is. And with this massive inversion of the yield curve, it's not different this time. We are going to get a recession. We know that. Whether or not it's happened already, again, it's a moot point. Our base case still is for some sort of a mild recession in 4,300 next year uh, by year end. I think the second half of the year, uh, I think starting earlier, maybe March, April, could be very, very strong. I think the key is going to be earnings. I don't think earnings are going to go down as much as everybody thinks. That's where I do actually think we could have a deviation relative to history. We're not going to have a 20% drawdown in earnings. I think something more to the tune of 220, maybe 215, something like that from our current 230 level, I think that's enough. But do you think you're fully appreciating what Jay Powell seems to be continuously signaling, right? I mean, he's been hawkish, he's been consistent, and he's not the only one who is telling you, and I mean the collective you, uh, all of us, what they're going to still do. Do you think that they're not going to be able to do what they suggest, and that's why you only think we'll have a a mild recession and that earnings won't be hit nearly as bad as some think. Your earnings number for 23 is $220. That's fairly elevated, I think you would say, compared to what some other projections would suggest. Correct. So if you say that earnings kind of peaked out at 240, that's a 20% pullback to 200 where everybody else is, I think that's just lazy math. I think people are being too easy on that, number one. Number two, again, from I think too many people, too many strategists look from the market level, don't own stocks, don't look at sectors and industries. When you roll all that up, we can't see where the earnings weakness is going to come from. We just simply cannot, especially given where we're seeing in energy and industrials and even parts of technology, healthcare, financials. We think the earnings are going to hold in there a lot better. Plus, if you take a look at how companies operate their, their businesses in terms of operating performance and cash flow, it's the strongest I've seen in 30 years. And so I don't see this massive uh, recede, recession I'm sorry, of earnings in general, but I do think we're going to see some earnings softness that could cause the market to go down a little bit the first, first part of the year. But I do think the Fed is following its script. We know the Fed is going to go too far. Now, everyone knows that. The bond market told you that yesterday. The bond market's obviously stronger because the bond market's seeing the recession right now. And so once again, bonds are right. The Fed is going to go too long. And I think that's what you have to position for right now. So I hate to do this to you, um, but I am in the giving mood. So I'm going to let our resident bulldog, i.e. Steve Weiss, who was listening to everything that you had to say, uh, particularly, I'm sure, about industrials, which he may have declared those who like those kinds of stocks in this environment, either asinine or delusional. He may have used another adjective as well. I can't particularly remember it exactly. But he's short industrials. He's listened. Now, what do you say to Belsky? Because your side isn't the only side. Okay? Yeah. I, I mean, first of all, I stopped listening to Brian after he said I was right. So what'd you say after that? No, <laughs> only kidding, Brian. Look, um, I just don't see industrials working out. I don't believe they, in this environment, unless you're trying to blaze a new trail that we've never gone on before, industrials are early cycle and that the impact to the 
to their earnings, the negative impact is not felt until you get through the late cycle and all the rate increases. And that those stocks should not be selling at a premium to the market. And right now they're about a four-turn, three-turn premium to the market, and I just think that's too high. So how do you dispute history, I guess, is, is my question, when you reference history continually in your comments. Can I counter? Yeah, we were waiting Weiss, for you to answer before oh, Weiss good. started to ask you another question. Well, no, listen, Weiss <laughs> walked himself into a trap, in an absolute trap. What's the trap? You buy cyclical stocks when the PEs are high, number one. Number two, where the earnings growth and where the fundamental strength in industrials are the domestic side of industrials, not international. Look at the, the defense contractors. Look at the waste management companies. Look what Stephanie Link talks about every day with her deer and caterpillar. We're going to see onshoring. We're going to build stuff in America again. And oh, by the way, uh, the, the, the strength of the U.S. consumer, the strength of the industrial base, but, but the weakness of around the world is going to have money come back to the U.S., and industrials will benefit from that, but more on the domestic side, especially small mid-cap industrials. Brian, good holidays. Uh, happy, healthy New Year to you as well. I'm not sure we'll see you between now and then, and, and if we don't, I'll look forward to spending more conversations with you in the new year. Thanks so much. All right. That's Brian Belsky joining us there. We have a few calls of the day to get to next. Plus, we're tracking the trades as well. Steve Weiss selling out of one big healthcare stock. We'll document that next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Kate Rooney. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. A QAnon follower who chased a U.S. Capitol police officer on January 6th, 2021, was sentenced to five years in prison, a jury found Doug Jensen guilty on seven counts, including felony charges of civil disorder and assaulting, resisting, or impeding officers. Jensen was one of the first 10 rioters to enter the Capitol building during the insurrection. Starbucks workers around the country are planning a three-day strike starting Friday as part of their effort to unionize the coffee chain's stores. More than 1,000 baristas at about 100 stores are planning to walk out, that's according to Starbucks Workers United, the strike would be the longest in a year-old unionization campaign. And Thursday night previews for Avatar The Way of Water, hauling in $17 million at the U.S. and Canadian box offices. Disney's latest blockbuster is projected to make over half a billion dollars this weekend. With its global opening, however, director James Cameron previously said his film would need to earn north of $2 billion just to break even on that massive budget. Back to you, Scott. I appreciate it, Kate. Thank you. That's Kate Rooney. J.P. Morgan today naming its top picks for 2023 within the biopharma space. And they are Eli Lilly and Zoetis. That's for growth. AbbVie, excuse me, and Merck are their top value plays, which is especially interesting today. Weiss, because you sold out of Merck. I did. This is one of Joe's favorite stocks, I think. When are you buying it back? Uh, I own Joe T, so okay. so I own it Fair technically enough. or indirectly. Cop out answer, but look, I sold it. I sold most of it about a week ago, and I sold the remainder. Part of the reason is I increased significantly my position in Moderna, 
uh, on the news. I did take some of that off the table because when a stock moves up like this kind of market, sort of got to trade around it. So I figured I had enough exposure, given my real negative view in the market and my equity exposure, which is as low as it's been, I don't need to own Merck. It's cheap stock, incredibly well run, great pipeline, but it's just a question of, do you want to own stocks at their highs in this market? And I don't. So it was a small position left. I decided to get rid of it. But you own, you own Merck still. I, I, I do. Out, Look, outside of the Joe T. Yes, correct. I own it personally. Steve's very nimble. He's very tactical. He'll be buying this back at some point. Um, you know, he could easily go from 109 down to, to 104. I could see and that. Go to 122. Right. It, it, it could easy, easily do that. So there's, there's no denying that fundamentally this is the exact type of equity that you want to be holding in your portfolio in this environment. And at the beginning of the year, I think many of us said healthcare was the sector to own in 2022. Tell me why that's changed going into 2023. I don't see the reasoning. Zoetis is on my shopping list, actually. Well, Shannon, Shannon, then, I mean, you own Zoetis, so make the pitch to Weiss, perhaps why he should maybe buy it now. Yeah, I mean, this is we bought this a little bit earlier this year. Scott hadn't, hasn't had the best year, um, but you just think about this being a you know a highly fragmented space, um, and there continues to be increasing spend um, on uh, pet health. And I think that this is an area where there is going to be potentially some compression in terms of revenues as as we have consumers with less uh, less money into 2023 but if you just think about opportunities for consolidation this is a this is an industry that will continue to consolidate and so being in a, in one of the top players to get this exposure um, I think it makes a lot of sense in this environment and it's just an outgrowth of, of you know what we're seeing in healthcare as a as one of our top sectors for this year and I agree with Joe into next year as well I just don't see any reason to really cut exposure in healthcare it's the one industry um, that really has a demographic tailwind versus a lot of other industries that continue to have demographic headwinds Jason you've got AbV which is the other top value play for 23 from JP Morgan yeah, I like IFV a lot here. I think that it, it's a name that works in this market. I mean, their their free cash flow yields above nine percent. There's a dividend yield close to four percent. Very robust pipeline. Sky Reezy continues to grow like a weed. So these are the type of names that that can do well. I mean, it's still trading at eleven times earnings. It's up nineteen percent. So it's 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 definitely outperformed the market. But I still continue to like it. All right. Up next, we're going to grade your trade. The committee answering your specific questions about specific trades that you've made. To reach us, send an email, askhalftime at cnbc.com. You can tweet us, of course, as well, at Halftime Report. We'll be right back. All right, let's do grade my trade now. Uh, Weiss, you're, you're the grader. Yes. Uh, sorry, Chris Hart, for, uh, for having to do this to you, but uh, your trade. I bought 47 shares of GXO at $77 a share on September 28th of, well, September 28th of 2021. Uh, I'm assuming that's not a typo. And still own it. Please grade it. Well, I'd say right now I've got the same grade. It's an F because stock's down. But here's what I'd say. I still own it because the market... And the market misunderstands a lot of stocks, not just this one. It misunderstands this. I just had to catch up with the company. Peak season was phenomenal. They grew last quarter 16% organic growth. They have five to 15 year contracts. And their contracts are with Apple, Nike, pick the global brands in the world. 
So I think it's a phenomenal story. I'd be patient with it. I'm not selling because it is incredibly, incredibly cheap and will recover. Okay, second question. Uh, Shannon, for you, it's uh, a boss. I had Workday for 160. I'm a trader, but for this one, I just want to be an investor. Appreciate your response. So what, what do you think of, of Workday here? And over a longer time horizon, obviously, as Abbas suggests, wants to be a trader, I mean, a, an investor on this, not a trader. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a that's a good um, thought on this particular stock. I mean, this is you know this is enterprise software. This is a, a higher multiple stock, so there you know you certainly could could experience some additional compression. The thing about Workday though is that they've had a really good second half of the year from an execution standpoint, and so you know we bought it right around the the mid 140 range or so earlier in the summer. I think that you should hold on to this, but I certainly think if we get another pop here, um, you know, based on next quarter's earnings, you know, maybe a trim. Um, um, but this is certainly a longer-term hold for us as well. Jason, to you from Chintan Modi, I have a position in Microsoft, a buy at 132. What do you think about that right here, if you had it at 132? Yeah, so obviously it's trading around 244, 245, so really like the call spaces there. You know, it, it's, it's still an expensive stock. It's trading at 25 times, but it's my favorite mega cap tech stock. You know, I think their, their exposure and their focus on enterprise cloud, commercial cloud, uh, will continue to strengthen the stock. But I, I would continue to hold it here and may potentially add on weakness. What do you think about this, Joe? You own it as well, right? I do. Really, it's a really nice gain in the stock. Um, it's come down from the, the yep. peak. So naturally wondering, should I stay with it? Am I worried it's going to come down more? I'm going to feel bad if I didn't do anything now. What, what do you okay. say? Perfect setup here. Uh, let's grade this in A. And here's what you do with this position. This is a classic, you know, this, this is a classic uh, collect some premium. Covered calls just on a monthly basis. Just sell out of the money calls, collect the premium, hold on to the stock. Uh, that's, to me, the right way to manage through this and make it an A+. Plus. Okay. And keep your, uh, please keep your trades coming in. Send us an email, as we said, askhalftime at CNBC.com. You can tweet us as well. We're watching casino stocks today as well. Got some big news on their future in Macau. We have new reporting on that as well. We'll bring that to you next. We have big news in the casino space today. The Macau government announcing new concessions for casino operators. Our Contessa Brewer following that money for us today. Contessa, what's this mean for the stocks? All right, so this is signed, sealed, and delivered. Let's see what this news does for the stocks. $15 billion, that's the commitment for these six concessionaires over 10 years that they get to operate these casinos to invest in Macau. The headline is $15 billion. It's a big number, but it's not a fee that's just forked over to the government. This is a commitment to invest. I'm told by multiple sources who don't have the authority to speak at this point by the Macau government that it's about mm, half and half OPEX and CAPEX spending. That's money that may be spent anyways, but the Macau government wants to ensure its priorities uh, diversifying beyond simple gaming revenue. They don't want to rely so much on gambling anymore, and they want to encourage international tourism. And so they are incentivizing the companies to invest this money for those particular aims. And so for MGM, for instance, that means more investment in entertainment and culture and, get this, medical tourism. Already we've seen a floodgate of visitors going in to try and get those mRNA vaccines in Macau. This opens up the possibility that medical tourism becomes a huge selling point for Macau as well. One more thing. 
Will there be winners and losers? My sources seem to indicate that there is a shift in the number of gaming tables and the way that they have been allotted. So there may be uh, casinos that win more gaming tables and those that lose them. The Macau government is expecting to hold a news conference. We'll get more publicly released details on that tomorrow. Scott. Well, so we can't say at this point the specific ones who are, you know, standing to gain and, or, or lose. I, I could say it, but I might get in trouble by the highly placed sources who <laughs> don't have do given that. Me that information. <laughs> don't do that. All right, Contessa, thank you very much for that reporting. That's Contessa Brewer. You've got to keep those sources close. Um, all right, Jason Snipe, you own MGM. Uh, place your bets, I guess, one way or the other. I do. Yeah, yeah. So for us, MGM and, and Macau has been so volatile over through the pandemic, you know, opening, close, opening, close. Uh, so MGM has a little over 12 and a half, very little exposure, 12 and a half percent exposure to Macau. So our bet on MGM has always been the, the gaming piece. So I'll be curious to see how this news unravels. Uh, but but I really like it here. I continue to like it. Joe, no interest in casino stocks no, for either you. the Joe T. No, thank you. Nope. No interest. Why not? Uh, I've called them dinosaurs in the desert, and we've got a recession coming in 2023, and I think that's going to be impacting them. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Dow's down 500 points. We'll do final trades next. Uh, we got some OT going on in a few hours from now, 4 o'clock Eastern. Cameron Dawson will be with us, along with Bryn Talkington, Avery Sheffield. Kevin Gordon is going to give us Schwab's 2023 playbook as well. So we look forward to that. Let's do final trades. Steve Weiss, you are first. XLI, I'm staying short and nods Brian Belsky. Yes, you buy him when the multiples are high, but after the earnings get crushed, they haven't gotten crushed yet. Okay. Shannon, what do you got for us? Rockwell Automation, aging workforce and uh, more demand for workers. Need These manufacturers need automation. And touche Steve Weiss. I mean, you forgot to say that, but I, I'll say that. It mm-hmm. goes J- without saying. Jason Snipe. <laughs> I like UNH. They just reinformed the guy, and they have really strong earnings stability here. All right, Joe, why don't you wrap us up? Healthcare name we don't talk about much. We own it in Joe T. Amerisource Bergen, ticker symbol ABC. All right, still likes uh, healthcare, obviously. Dow's down 543. I'll see you in OT. Good weekend, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.